One of the things we're talking about today, we've been talking about connect, grow, serve, and then we had a break in our series uh, where we talked about freedom last week, and, and, but now we're going to pick back up. We're going to talk about four E's, and the first one we're going to talk about today is this idea of engagement. And about, Pastor Rich said engaging the culture, engaging the culture. I know this, when I was a brand new Christian, I lived in Lubbock, Texas, and they taught this class called, uh, it was originally Evangelism Explosion, then they, they changed it to Continuing Witness Training. Basically what they did is they taught us, we memorized a presentation, and then, and then they sent us out two by two, one with an experienced uh, witness for Christ. I mean, someone who knew the word, knew the scriptures, knew the presentation that, that you had to memorize. And it was a lot of scriptures and whatnot. And then we, they sent us out. Then I was like an apprentice and I was with like a journeyman. So we went out together. And two by two, we went down and we just did cold call evangelism. Now, I, I got to be real honest with you. I was terrified. I was a little bit nervous. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. I was on fire for Jesus. But I, I felt a little bit strange about walking up to somebody's door like a, like a vacuum salesman or something and knocking on the door. And then when they answer the door, start talking to them about Jesus. Now, I got to admit, it was awkward for me. It was uncomfortable. I prayed to God that no one would answer the door. Come on, somebody. Am I the only human here? Because it's awkward for me. I'm an introvert by nature. Some of you might not believe that, but, but I am. I'm an introvert. I mean, according to Myers-Briggs, I am a true introvert. I uh, recharge alone. I like being in the cave. I like to think alone and whatnot. It's just the way I'm wired. I can't help it. Can't change it, even though I've tried. Doesn't do any good. So being an introvert and being forced to do something very extroverted, and that is cold call evangelism, was very frightening for me. So even today, when I first hear the word engage the culture, it sends a little shock through my spine. Anybody else get a little nervous about this terminology? Be honest. Handful of introverts out there going, yeah, it is kind of a little scary to think about. We're going to go attack the culture. We're going to engage with a Bible and a passport. We're going to go attack the world and win them for Jesus. And everybody can cheer about that and get excited. But at the end of the day, when it's you stepping into a foreign environment and saying, hey, I'd like to tell you about the person who changed my life forever, Jesus Christ. It's very intimidating. And so when we talk about this term engage, I want to I make sure that we understand what we're talking about because if that's going to be a value of ours, if that's going to be a part of our mission, a part of who we are, then we need to understand what's expected of that and what that literally means. So are we good to go? All right, here's what I'm going to do. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Pastor Rich just read it, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, and I know this might be a little awkward, but I want to give the word first place. So put your lid on your drink for a minute, and let's all stand together, and let's read this together. I'm going to be reading from the same translation Pastor Rich read from, and that is the English Standard Version. And it says this, you can look on the screen, or you can look in your own translation. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which we know was yet, on one hand, very glorious church, On another hand, they were very much like us. They were human. They were spotted. They were imperfect. I know know that doesn't capture any of you, but it fits for me. And so I can really relate to the church at Corinth. And Paul was writing to them, and he says this. He says, verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, 
that I might win more of them. Now, Paul is contrasting a living a new kind of life, which is now under grace, versus living an older kind of life, which was under the law. And when we say the law, talking in Bible terms, we're not talking about the, the government. We're talking about the spiritual laws and literally the commands that were handed down to Moses and then later expounded upon by generation after generation of Pharisees as they began to add to God's law and add to and add to and add to to the point where the book got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where it was like crazy stuff. Like if your goat falls in a well on Sunday, on, on the Sabbath, which was Saturday for them, then you, you could you could rescue the goat, but then you couldn't tend the goat after you rescued the goat. So you had to dump him out on just leave him there and hope he was okay, all right? No mouth-to-mouth to a goat on the Sabbath, right? No, re- I know. Just seeing if you're paying attention. So Paul's contrasting this old way of life to a new way of life, and he's talking about this very thing that we're about to talk about, and that is engagement and what that means. We'll define the term in just a minute, so I'm going to read through this. Then verse 20 says, To the Jews I became a Jew. In order to win Jews. I want you to hear the heart of this and the spirit of this. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Not, now he says this, though not being myself under the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. There's grace. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That is a critical phrase. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Remember, the gospel is just another term. It's the term good news, which literally means the message of Christ. It's the good news of salvation. It's the message of what Jesus did. He says this, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We give your word first place today. We thank you that your word accomplishes that for which it was sent forth. It never returns void. Father, it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit in our lives. And we receive your word gladly in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated. Did you know that the average person walks 10,000 steps a day? Yeah, 10,000. The average person. Now, in a lifetime for the average person, that literally equates to over four times around the globe. So did you know that you will have walked the equivalent of the earth four times by the time you're, you're, you're old and by the time you go to see Jesus? That's a lot of walking, is it not? Well, listen, we're going to talk about this simple topic, and it's, it's this when we talk about this word engagement. And I'm taking the, the title of this from a book that came out a few years ago by Pastor Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church in, in Chicago, South Barrington, Illinois. And the title of it is this, Just Walk Across the Room. Say that with me. Just walk across the room. Now, when we talk about engagement, evangelism, sharing our faith, It's real easy to get technical. It's real easy to get complicated. It's real easy to get it. We got to get really deep. But let me just say something. It's as simple as just walking across the room. I'm thankful that years ago, somebody walked across the room for me. This whole idea of engagement, this whole idea of connection. Listen to this. 
I was in the park with my friends. I had a little bicycle gang when I was like in the sixth grade. Y'all know what I mean? We were bad to the bone. We ran Wagner Park and Tech Terrace Park in Lubbock, Texas on our Schwinn Stingrays. We were bad to the bone. Or so we thought in the sixth grade. As bad as sixth graders can be. And so we had this little gang. We'd, we'd pretend like we were racing motocross. And Evil Knievel was our hero. Anybody remember Evil Knievel? Man, he was always, he was all about breaking stuff like bones and necks. And uh, I mean, he was always crashing. So he was kind of a hero of ours. So we'd jump stuff and we'd build ramps and we'd jump ramp to ramp. And then we'd throw down all the kids in the neighborhood that we didn't like, you know, and then we'd jump them. It was just fun times, you know, typical kid stuff. And so we had this group and we were at Wagner Park one time up around this, had this pavilion kind of area. And we were up there looking really cool on our bikes. I mean, we were sitting, you know, you know, you don't ride all the time. You got to sit for a while. It's like surfing. You know, surfing's all about the look. Am I right? I mean, you just want to sit and pose on a wave, right? Then you ride about two or three and you're done. But same way with riding, you know, I mean, we just sit there and look cool, you know, checking out the chicks on the playground. Come on. We were all waiting, just looking, you know. We'd probably ridden a couple of times and we were sitting. And this group of college girls, Texas Tech girls, they had tech all over. It was obvious, and they were Texas Tech girls. They came walking across the park. Let me just say something about walking. They didn't walk just to be cool and to be pretty, although they were. Because to us sixth grade boys, we were like, wow, wow. You know, be cool, everybody. Be cool. Everybody's trying to look cool. We're sixth graders. You're college girls, you know. And so here they came walking up to us. So we were like thinking, man, they must think we're awesome. They must think we're cool. And they walk up to us. They just walked across the park. Here's the deal. They walked across the park with purpose. They walked across the park on purpose. They walked right up to us. You know what they started to do? They reached out to us. Here's what they did. They started to tell us about Jesus Christ. They started a conversation, started talking. Of course, we were more than willing to talk. But then when we, when we realized the conversation was going in, in the direction of the things of God and Christianity, which I was not a Christian, I mean, it was like, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, everything changed for me. Let me tell you what those girls did. First of all, they reached out to us. They walked across the park. Second thing that they did is they risked it. They risked. They risked being rejected. And the third thing they did is, is they literally went away rejoicing as we mocked them and scorned them and made fun of them. Let me tell you something. If you're going to walk across a room on purpose... And lay your life out. You're going to have to reach out. You're going to have to risk it. And then you're going to have to rejoice in the result. No matter what the result is. Can you remember that? Reach out. Risk it. And then rejoice in it. Three R's. Simple. What are you rejoicing in? You're rejoicing in the fact that you were considered worthy. If need be to suffer shame for the name of Christ. One of the most terrifying things for a Christ follower is... The risk of rejection. The risk of being embarrassed. The risk of maybe even, I don't know if this happens to you, but maybe the risk of being associated with something kooky and weird. Because one of our most innate needs is that need to belong. It's the need to be accepted. It's the need to connect. And 
Sometimes when we hang our faith out to a world that's not always open to us, we risk being rejected. But those girls, now listen, it wasn't for naught. It was not a waste of time. Because even though I was laughing, even though I was saying silly stuff that a sixth grader would say, trying to be cool, inside it made an impression on me. And maybe what those girls don't know, maybe they do. Maybe it'll be one of those, you know, that Ray Bolt song, thank you. Maybe it'll be a day in heaven when I get to go say thank you for walking across Wagner Park and being willing to risk your, your reputation and risk your appearance and risk your, risk your cool factor to share your faith with a bunch of knot-headed punks who laughed at you. But what they don't know is that they sowed seeds into that group of boys. And let me tell you something. Every time you engage, every time you share your faith, every time, and it could be in the most benign, non-threatening, relaxed, not-on-purpose moment, because a lot of times what we're doing is leaking out simply what's in us. I love what Pastor Brett Fuller says. He's in our church in Chatham, Virginia. And he says this. He said, look, if we would just be real Christians. He, he says, good Christians. If we would just be good Christians, it would solve a lot of the issues we face. That sounds really simplistic until you think about what it means to be a good Christian. What it means to be a good Christian is to leak out things like love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then the big one at the end of the list, self-control. If we just be good Christians, it'd be amazing how different things would be. Do you agree? So how do we engage? What does that mean to engage? What does it look like to simply walk across the room? I got some things I want to share with you, and we're going to look at some scriptures as well. But before we do, let's take a little sip of water together, everybody. Get out your water. Now, if you knock it off and finish it too quickly, half of you are going to be dashing out to go to the bathroom before we're done here. So go easy on that, all right? Everybody say, ah, man, that's good. Definition of engage. I want to give this to you to be up on the screen. It means this. It means to connect, which is one of our, one of the parts of our mission to connect, grow and serve. That's what we want you to do. But that's also the issue of engagement. What does it mean? It means to connect or occupy the attention of another. When I get your attention, I'm engaging you. I'm locking in. To entangle or involve. When you get involved in something, you're entangled in something, you're wrapped up in it, you're literally engaging. To interlock, if you think in terms of gears, like on a watch, or gears on on a bike and a chain, where how it interlocks, it engages, it connects, and there's a connection going on. Synonyms are involved, connect, and to engross. You ever been engrossed in something? Oh, I'll just ask your parents. They'll tell me you get engrossed in video games. But tell me you get engrossed in the game. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, hey, come on in here. It's time to eat. And it's like, focus. You know what that is? That's engagement. You've engaged. 
And somebody has to wave a hand in front of you to get you to disengage and break loose and get your attention. That means you're engrossed, you're interlocked, you're connected. So let's talk about what it means to just walk across the room. Number one, very simple. What does it mean like if I'm on mission for Christ and I'm going to walk across the room? Three things, but I want to tell a story before I do. Annette and I had the very awesome privilege of going to Israel a few years ago. And I've told little stories here and there from that because it is one of those trips that so impacts your life. When you walk where you know Jesus walked and his disciples and you get to see that place and all of a sudden the Bible starts to make sense with locations and geography and the maps in the back make sense now. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. When I was a new Christian, I'm like, why are these maps in here? Who, you know, what does that matter? They make sense to me now. I have a reference point. But I remember we got to go to this place where it's, they have a lot of traditional things, where it's traditionally believed that King David may have written the 23rd Psalm. It's down in the southern desert, and it's, it's hot down there. I mean, brutal hot, brutal dry. We know brutal hot, we don't know dry right now. But I'm thinking dry, I'm thinking parched. Think, we went down in there, and then you get out at this place, and then they say, okay, you might want to get some water because you're about to walk a couple of miles. And we're like, wait a minute, I thought this was a tour. You know, I think you're not going to drive us right up to this. No, you get to walk now. So we get out, you remember this? And we walk up, and, and it, you go back into this, it's like a canyon. And there's a trail that goes, and it's just a narrow trail, narrow path, and it's real up and down. And here it is, 98 degrees, in the desert, in Israel, and you're walking on this path, and you keep thinking it's going to be there any moment. You just keep walking and keep walking. And we kept seeing teenagers in bathing suits, swimsuits, up and down this trail. Now, here's the thing about it. They were all carrying guns. Imagine a 17-year-old kid with nothing but a bathing suit on and having a weapon on him. Why is that? Because they were all part of the Israeli army. By the way, Israel military, even when they're off-duty, have to pack a gun. They always keep their gun with them no matter what they're doing. So if they're out on the town having a good time and you see them out and about doing what our teenagers do, they got guns. I don't know about you. It makes me a little nervous. But the thing is, is they've taught them is that they are always on mission. There's a mentality in the, in the Hebrew, the Israeli army, of, of this mentality of always being ready. Always being ready. I don't know if you guys saw uh, on Yahoo News, and this is a YouTube thing, uh, the six uh, Israeli army guys that were in Hebron who were walking down the streets on patrol. Did anybody see this? Walking down the streets on patrol, and they're going down, and I mean, it's all intense. they got a camera on them, and over the loudspeaker system, and this is all over Israel in different parts, that every, three times a day, there's a, there's a Muslim prayer that goes out, you know, and it's, going, it's loud. It goes out over these loudspeakers, and everyone who's, who's um, Muslim will stop, drop, and do their prayers. I mean, three times a day. And everybody else carries on about their business. It's just a wild culture. And so this thing's going on, so there's no movement in the streets of Hebron except for these six soldiers on patrol, man. And they've got this camera on them, and you see them coming down. It looks like one of those you know, street cameras looking down. Well, right in the middle of this, it breaks into a hip-hop song. 
I kid you not, breaks into a hip-hop song, and they do this choreographed dance. I kid you not. So they break into this awesome dance. Man, they got some pretty good moves, not bad. You know, they're doing this little dance together. It's all, I mean, six guys choreographed for about a minute and a half. Anybody see this? Yeah, it it was on Yahoo News and on YouTube. And then once it was over, I mean, literally, it was like they break into this little hip-hop deal. They do their dance. And then, and then as, it's, as it's in, they're back on mission. They're back on. Now, here's the deal. It's real funny. You go, wow, that's cool. Man, they're just livening things up and having a good time. Well, guess what happened? Those guys got in big trouble. Now, I don't know if it was actually staged, if they choreographed this in the sense of, all right, set up a camera. We're going to do this. We're going to splice some music into it. We're going to have some fun. Whether they actually did it. Or not, there was no one on the street, so speculation is as it was staged, they still got in trouble because it brought disrepute and disrespect upon the Israel military. That's how serious Israel is about its mission in the world. Now, I'm saying this for a reason. You remember Gideon's army? Anybody remember how many they started with? When the Lord said, you're going to go, you're going to take down all the Asherah poles and you're going to rise up and Gideon, you're going to be a great leader. You're a mighty man of valor, even though you don't look like it now. God sees us as we will be. Amen. He sees us as what he's making us be. And he calls out Gideon before Gideon is anything and says, you're going to be a mighty man of valor and you're going to lead your people into freedom. And remember, he started with 30,000 troops. Anybody know how many he ended up with when it was time to actually go to battle? 300. Now there's a church growth program right there. 30,000 to 300. And God says, now you're ready. But do you remember what the criteria was for those 300? Remember, God set up a test and said, all right, have your, have your men drink water down by the brook. And those that lap water and look down at the water disqualify. Send them home. Those who drink but continue to watch, lap the water and watch, those are your men. 30,000 to 300. Only 300 drank and remembered they were still on mission. So we know that story from the Old Testament, bring it into today, and that's why those six guys got in trouble. Now, why? what's the point of all of that? The point is this. All of us, and maybe some of us forget, we are on mission. Do you understand that our mission is to honor Jesus, to honor God, to bring glory to him, to make, to know him and make him known? That's our mission, to know God and to make him known to others. That's your mission. That is your purpose for being, that you may enjoy him, that you may know him, but that also you may bring others into a relationship with him. Do we agree that that's our mission? That's the gospel in very simple terms to say, this is our purpose for living. It's not just about me. It's about the world. It's not just about me. It's about we. It's not just about we. It's about them. We have a mentality. So when we talk about what it means to engage, we're simply saying this. You got to look. You got to look up. Look, walk through the day. And here it is. Very simple. Live aware. Now, listen. All of us get distracted. Can I get an amen? amen? Summer shows up and everybody's like, okay, I got vacation. We got 
baseball, soccer. We've got this. We've got that. We're traveling here. We're going there. We've got camps. We've got this. I mean, our calendar gets berserk crazy. It gets to the point where I just quit looking ahead and go, what am I doing today? Okay, all right, here I go. Because it's so easy to get distracted. Life happens, drama happens, stuff comes up. And yet God says, look, if we're going to walk across the room, if we're going to engage, just live aware. Take the mentality of a Hebrew soldier, an Israel soldier, who says, you know what? Even though I'm taking a drink, I'm still looking. Even though I'm going to the swimming hole, I'm packing heat. It's the weirdest thing to see a 16-year-old girl in a bikini with a gun. Some of you guys get excited about that. Let me tell you something. It's scary. It's scary when you're there. I, I, I mean, it's like a bunch of teenagers running around, laughing, jumping around, with guns slinging everywhere. And they're loaded, by the way. Always, always aware. Always ready. Knowing that at any moment. Now, you got to understand, they live in a culture where bombs could drop on their head at any moment. But do you think we don't? Not only in the natural now has our lives since 9-11 been shifted and been changed in America and, and knowing and, and I don't even, some say ignorance is bliss. Sometimes you don't want to know how many other attacks have been foiled and how many plots have been exposed and how God, thank God, has brought brilliance and, and intelligence and, and our intelligence community and whatnot and how many times a disaster has been averted for us. But at the end of the day, even though in the natural things are going on, do you not realize that in the spiritual you are always under attack? And the Bible says he shoots these flaming darts at us, these fiery darts all the time. So when we got to wear the armor of God. But live aware. Walk through the day aware. God has already put you in your mission field. Listen, I'm all about missions. I love missions. It's fun to be a superhero for a couple of weeks. But I'm telling you... Where you live, where God has put you, that is where we are supposed to shine. That's where we're supposed to make impact. Amen? But let me tell you something. Where is the hardest place for you to bring impact? Is it not with the people you see every day? Why is that? Because they know you. They know you're not a superstar. And they know you're not a spiritual giant. But that is all the more reason for them to see the grace of God at work in your life. So that they see an imperfect person who has been perfectly forgiven. They see a person who misses it, who makes mistakes, who falls into drama, and yet is still able to say, Oh, God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you love me in spite of my actions, in spite of my behavior. Amen? But what happens, the opposite happens. We mess up. We make a mistake. We blow it. Am I right? We blow it at the water cooler. We laugh at a joke. We do something. We start drama. We initiate something. We say something we shouldn't have. We get caught up in something. We fall. We stumble. We trip. And here's what happens. The enemy brings condemnation on us. And instead of continuing to lap water and look and be aware, we bow our heads down and we get disqualified. And the reason is because we think God can't use us. 
if we're not perfect. Christian perfectionism is one of the most dangerous. We think the devil's the big enemy. Let me tell you what the real enemy is. It's perfectionism that says, if I don't have it all together, I can't live for God. If I don't have it all figured out, and I don't, if I don't have everything in my life in order, if I don't have my finances in order, if I blew it with this, or if I missed it with him or her, and I did this or whatever, then God can't use me. And that is the lie from hell. That is the smoke screen from hell. And that is the thing that paralyzes most of us from doing anything for Christ. Because we're so afraid that someone's going to go, well, yeah, but I saw you. And you know what you say? You go, yeah, I'm an idiot sometimes, but oh, the grace of God. Grace is not an excuse to sin. It is a reason not to sin. It's a license to live in spite of our sin. It's, it's, it gives you the, the chance to say, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint who sins sometimes. You see the shift? You see the mentality change? Keep looking. Stay aware. Look. Here's another point of just walking across the room. Number two, listen. Look, but listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have been sitting in a line at Walmart or Target or wherever, and all of a sudden you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It may be the simplest thing, like you're watching somebody in line in front of you, and they're, they're paying in cash, and they've got like pennies and rolls, and, and, and they don't, it's obvious they may not have enough there. And the Holy Spirit says, take care of that for them. But what do we do? Oh, well, I don't want to impose. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't. We make up 15 excuses in a split second of why we shouldn't do what the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit doesn't scream at me. He may scream at you. He may have a megaphone in your ear, but, but I've got bad hearing on this side. It does not come loud. I get a still, small voice, and sometimes it's just a gentle nudge. In the book of Psalms, it talks about a still, small voice. In some translations, it says a gentle whisper. And literally, it's the word, the same word that's used for, in the Greek for pneuma. It's, it's the word breath. It's like he breathes. He just breathes. It goes, do something there. Let me tell you how complicated engagement is. Engagement might just be opening that door for somebody when, when you don't have to, but you're there. Oh, go ahead, hold that door for them. Go ahead. I got engaged this week. I'm standing out at the street, and a neighbor who I've never met before hollers at me. And we, we meet up, and he's trying to sell his house. He's having a hard time selling it, and he's, he's about to get PCS. He's leaving the area, and he engages me, and guess what he does? He starts talking about the Lord. He doesn't know who I am, and he starts witnessing to me, basically. And I'm going, this is awesome. I'm sitting there trying to contain my excitement because I've been witnessed to so few times in my life. And I'm like, this is awesome. So I let him go for a little bit. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't go like, well, I don't believe in that. I just, I just let him go. Because it would have been fun to play a little devil's advocate to see how versed he was. You know, well, you know, all you Christians are the same. bunch of hypocrites. All y'all want is our money. I mean, you know, it would have been easy, tempting to play, play with him a little bit. But here's the deal. I was so thrilled that somebody engaged me standing in the street. Now, here's the deal. He wasn't trying to engage me. He was just leaking out what he was full of. Because you know what he said to me? Here's how he did it. This is how natural engagement is. Look, listen to the Spirit, and then look at the third thing, and I'll finish the story. Look at the third thing. Lean. You know what it means to lean? 
weight, momentum, movement towards something. We think obedience is all about rah, rah, crush, kill, slash, maim. I mean, we think obedience is such a big word, but really it means leaning towards something. Lean towards. When you walk across the room to somebody, you're just leaning that way. Is that not how you get your momentum going? If I'm going to walk towards the door, I'm going to lean and go. You know what that is? That's obedience. But we make it such a big thing. We're standing in the street and he's talking about his house and, and, and he's talking about how he's having a hard time selling it. And, 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 and he said, but you know what? Here's what he did. He just leaked out. He leaned. He said, you know what? God has the right person for that house. I went, ooh, my, my ears perked up. He said, God knows who needs to have this house and I'm not going to worry about it. You know what he told me in that statement is that he has got the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, if I was a lost person, didn't know the Bible, I wouldn't have caught that. I'd just go, wow, it's kind of weird. You mean God's, you're not worried about it? You should be. You're, You're leaving tomorrow. You're pulling out. You just emptied your house. You're moving to the other side of the country, but you've got peace. You know what that would have said to me as a non Christian? Wow. How do you have that? So I'm listening. He says, yeah, you know, God's going to take care of it. Now, he didn't know if I was a Christian. I don't even know that he was trying. I think the Holy Spirit nudged him. He was leaning and just doing what he did. He was leaking out life. Why? Because that's what he's full of. We talk about engagement. We talk about walking across a room. We talk about, you know, you're looking. You're listening, you're leaning, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, you're leaking out what you're full of. You're just being a good Christian because when you're full of Christ, that's what you do. It's funny because in church, especially here in America, we want, we want to give you seven steps, 10 principles, three keys. You know, we, we, have, we break it all down because we, we think in those terms as Americans. We want to dissect everything. But at the end of the day, it's not that complicated. Not that those things don't help because they do. It's nice to have steps. It's nice to have a checkbox. But at the end of the day, your walk with Jesus is living and it's organic and it's got to flow. It's just got to be natural. And so this guy leaking out Christ on me, leaning toward me, all he was doing it's just leaking out what he was full of. Here's the second part of this. First part is just walk across the room. Second part is this. Give a cup of cold water. Speaking of, let's get a drink. I'm thirsty. I got loud there. It's kind of hard on my throat. It's a shame to be so passionate about God, and it? it? makes me hoarse a lot. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Look at this. One who waters will himself be watered. Get the principle there? That as I refresh others, guess what happens? I get refreshed. When we're talking about engagement, what we're talking about is refreshing people. We're saying, look, it's 98 degrees, it's hot, it's dry. Here, I've got a cup of cold water for you. His name is Jesus, and let me tell you, this will refresh your life. This will change. In fact, throw the, throw the definition up there, Randall. Look at the definition of refresh. It means to make fresh again. You know what? Even as a Christ follower, we need to be refreshed. Amen? How do we do that? By the washing of the pure water of the Word, the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does it say? To make fresh again, to restore, revive, repair, and to renew. That's what it means to be refreshed. Let's get another drink. Come on. Cheers. In Hebrew, it's lachayim. No, I didn't get anything caught in my throat. It was Hebrew. Lachayim. It literally means to life. Life forevermore. So when we give a cup of cold water, we refresh, we bring life to somebody. Listen to this. Let me give you some real, this is about to get deep. Are y'all ready for deep? All right, we're going subterranean right here. Number A, letter A. I hate when people do that. I know. Look at this. Smile. I know this is tough. I know this is difficult. But let me tell you something. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If we, listen, if I know Jesus, should I not be a pretty happy guy? I mean, after all, I've been saved. After all, I've been born again. After all, I've been delivered. After all, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Should I not be one that has a smile on my face? Well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about drama? So what? Drama comes and drama goes like a good West Texas thunderstorm. Can I get an amen? So even as drama comes, yeah, you take the hit, you deal with it. But you know what? You got to smile and we sang about it and move forward. Smile. Let your light shine. Be salt and light. Look at the scripture on this. Check this out. Randall, you have that? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. I don't want to lose my saltiness. You know what I mean? I don't want to lose the edge. It says, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now look at this. You are the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Say, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't hide it. Man, if you are shining bright, you cannot hide it. You're the light of the world. City set on a hill. We are cities set on a hill. That can't be hidden. Now look what it says. Nor do people light a lamp and stick it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Now listen. This little light of mine, right? I mean, we know the song. I'm going to let it shine, right? Come on, somebody. Now, listen. How difficult is it really to look at life and take three steps back and go, you know what? That is not worth losing my joy, losing my peace, losing the sense of being on mission, losing, losing all the things that God has given me. Is it really worth it? Can I not find a way to have joy in the midst of this? Does that mean I feel good? Sometimes you have joy by faith. It's called rejoice. Sometimes you've got to rejoice no matter what is going on. No matter how tired you are, no matter how defeated you feel or discouraged you are, because at some point you've got to step back and start doing what the old hymn says, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them. One by one. It doesn't take long when I step back from a situation and go, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. My family is saved. 
and going to heaven. My daughter just got baptized. My son is a lead pastor of a church. My daughter's running this one, basically, taking care of us. I am blessed with amazing wife and family and home, and I'm so great. Man, it, it didn't take long before I'm in rejoice mode. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let's have our worship team come on up. Here's another difficult one. This is really tough. It's called encourage. Encourage. Whenever I encourage you and I try to make a point, I miss it sometimes. I, I, I might walk by you and not say something because I'm thinking about something, but I try to encourage people. Do you know, church, I want everybody to look at me for a second. We don't do this enough. We just can't do it enough. This can't be overdone. I'm not talking about silly flattery. Don't tell something not, that's not true. Oh, I love your hair. It looks amazing, and it doesn't. Don't go there, okay? Just find something else, okay? Or don't pull the old preacher stunt where you're going, Wow, I see you're with child. That's wonderful. And she goes, I'm not pregnant. I mean, woo, Got to be careful there. So you don't just flat. We're not talking about flattery. We're talking about inspiring courage in others. Look at the scripture on this. And we'll finish with this. Josh, if you will, come on. Look what the scripture says in First Thessalonians. It says, therefore, encourage, inspire courage. Say that with me. Inspire courage. One more time. Inspire courage. That's what we do when we encourage one another. Therefore, inspire courage in one another. And build one another up. Have you, don't show your hand, but have you ever caught yourself tearing somebody down and, and it, it dawned on you what you were doing in the middle of it? Did it not just break your heart? Did you not just think, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's that Holy Spirit. Stop it. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He was referring to the fact that they were doing it. He was so thrilled with the Christians in Thessalonica. He was encouraging them and inspiring them and saying, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep building each other up.